Gina Della from Pella. And let me tell you, 555 is back. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right. This is one of those those moments, and I think we we probably all have them, but it kind of demonstrates where, especially if you're going to be in the media, maybe you you need to think before you ask a particular question or or open your your mouth. Um, We were talking yesterday about the Emmy show, which almost nobody watched, and, and partly because all the shows that won Emmys are shows that pretty much nobody saw because in many respects they're, they're no longer on broadcast TV. If you want to watch The Crown, which is this long, it's I think it's had been on four seasons right now, and it, it depicts the, the life of uh, Queen Elizabeth, you, you have to, and it's a very good show. It's slow, but it's a very good show, but you have to have Netflix to watch that. If you want to watch Ted Lasso, which is I'm told is a great show, I've never seen it because I do not have Apple TV. So and unless you have one of these streaming services, services, you miss a lot of these things. But in any event, um, what happened is after the Emmys and Gillian Anderson won an Emmy for her performance, her portrayal as Margaret Thatcher in the most recent season of The Crown. Margaret Thatcher, of course, was the long-serving prime minister of Great Britain, uh, particularly during the, the Reagan years. So that that's what it goes back. So anyhow, um, you, you've got Gillian Anderson, who did an excellent job uh, portraying Margaret Thatcher. She wins an Emmy Award. So after you get the Emmy Awards, what they do is they have a press conference. So the 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 award winners are there and they're fielding questions for from the press and people are asking about the role and things like that and at one point in time there is a journalist slash reporter who has been identified as a woman named Tanya Hart of something called the American Urban Radio Network all right she says all right so she she wants to wade in she says congratulations now this is to gillian anderson who's won the emmy for portrayal of margaret thatcher congratulations i love you on this show so just to kind of continue with the whole margaret thatcher thing first question is if you've talked to her about this role at all and secondly why do you think it has taken america so long to get a female leader you know in all these other countries um look at what margaret did in the uk well let's leave the first question aside for a minute first question is have you talked to margaret thatcher about this role well there is this awkward pause because well margaret thatcher passed away in 2013 at the age of 87 so now gillian anderson i I give give her a lot of credit she just kind of instead of making the reporter feel dumb because you know if if you say if you ever say there are no dumb questions that's not true this is a uniquely dumb question because no she she said no i I haven't had a chance to talk to mrs thatcher about this because margaret thatcher died in 2013 uh, she died eight years ago. Not going to be able to do this. Um, and then the reporter just kind of blasts on. Actually, Gillian Anderson was extremely classy when she handled this. But for everybody that says that there's no such thing as a dumb question, well, all right. <laughs> the fact that you didn't know that Margaret Thatcher was dead 
Uh, that that would classify as a dumb question. And it was interesting on the coverage of this. Many of the stories didn't even identify who the reporter was, which to me was, how can you tell the story without identifying who the reporter was? And you know, if it was somebody from Newsmax or somebody from Fox News that had done this, you know that that would be the headline in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Oh, the Fox News reporter doesn't realize that Margaret Thatcher is dead. Well, yes, Margaret Thatcher died in 2013. So there are a Occasionally dumb questions, and there was certainly one asked the other day. All right, let us get started. As we discussed yesterday, the the southern border is out of control, and it's been an issue for years. But during the Trump administration, the border problems decreased because you know whether Donald Trump was talking about building a wall or, or whatever, which I always thought. You know, a a physical wall never made any sort of sense. But there was no question that that Donald Trump, you know, committed a lot of resources to saying, okay, we're going to stop the tide of people illegally entering this country. There is no question that Joe Biden has reversed that. Joe Biden, during the campaign and subsequently, has been under a lot of pressure from some of his, his base to essentially open the borders. And so even though Biden won't come out and say we've got open borders, Joe Biden has been sending a message that, okay, if you come to this country, you are going to be allowed to stay. That's at least the perception that people in several countries have had. And as a result, what you have seen is this huge influx of people. And in this particular case, it's from Haiti. You know, people who are are pouring in through Mexico with the idea that if they get into the United States, they are not going to be sent back. Now, this, this is a problem in many respects. First of all, what what a lot of people what they do to get into the, the to get to the United States is they make deals with these cartels and with human traffickers and things like that so you know in some respects this is encouraging you know the these very nefarious operatives to to take people along secondly they, they get to the United States and even though the United States says no we're, we're not going to take you in they believe that the United States isn't going to send us back and I'm looking at interview after interview people are saying well Joe Biden, you know, you know, I understand Joe Biden says it's it's illegal, but you know that's not what we really think he means. So you've had this situation over the last couple of weeks, in particular, where uh, the the border has gotten absolutely out of control. You have tens of thousands of immigrants, Haitian immigrants primarily, but others as well, who have entered the the U.S. And they are waiting like in like the equivalent of like refugee camps under bridges in Del Rio, Texas, um, waiting to to get into the United States because the way the law works, at least as interpreted by one federal judge, is once you get into the United States, if you request asylum, you you cannot be sent back until your asylum request is decided. Well, the, the system right now is clearly overwhelmed, and these asylum requests, it could take years, literally years, before something can be processed. So people figure we're going to be able to stay for years. In addition, what happens is a lot of people they get in, they make their asylum request. We do not have the facilities to, you know, house tens of thousands of people. So they just kind of melt into the, the countryside, never to be seen again. So it's an absolute and, and total mess 
that is going on there. So it's gotten so bad that what Biden has now started to do is they've started to say, okay, because of the COVID emergency, we're going to go back to something Trump was doing and, and we're going to, we're going to start rounding up some of these Haitian immigrants. And what we're going to do is we're just, we're putting them on airplanes and we're going to send them back. Now, I, I don't know that they have enough airplanes to, to make this work, but it has in fact been a, a problem and it's a huge problem down at the border. In order to try to get this under control, though, the Biden administration has been forced to send hundreds of additional customs agents down to try to stop the flow of people illegally coming into this country and not letting them cross the various rivers, sending them back, which all led to something that happened in the last day or so. So you might have seen this. There's an illustrate. There's a picture of a customs agent on a horse who is running down people who have come into this country illegally and are running to try to get away. And so there's images of a guy on a horse who's grabbing, you know, somebody who's come into this country illegally. And this, of course has created this huge controversy. You have a lot of the usual suspects saying, oh, this is just barbaric. This is just absolutely terrible. How can, you know, how can our border control agents be chasing down Haitian migrants at, at the border? And of course, now the Biden administration is saying, "Okay, well, we're we're going to investigate this." Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is there to investigate? I mean, okay, if we're if we're going to send hundreds of more border agents down there with the idea of apprehending and trying to stop people before they come into this country, what do you think they're supposed to do? I, I mean, seriously, if the border agents see people illegally crossing and they're not supposed to try to catch them and, and send them back or stop them from coming over, what is the purpose of having hundreds of people along the, the border? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, seriously, what are these border agents supposed to do? Oh, this is terrible imagery. You know, you're on a horse and you're running down and you're grabbing some guy who's trying to run from you. Well, all right. It, it's maybe not a perfect analogy, but it's sort of like what's the purpose of having police officers if they're going to chase somebody after they watch them commit a crime? Are you not going to have them chase them? Are you not going to have to try to apprehend them? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's a mess, but why send border agents to the border if you're not going to have them engage and try to apprehend people who are pouring across the border illegally? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, here, here's the way the New York Times d- describes this. So if we all agree the border is out of control, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of Haitian immigrants who are pouring over, hoping to be granted asylum to stay in this country essentially forever because the way the law works right now is interpreted by one federal judge is you really can't send people back. At this point in time, the Biden administration is still trying to round up people and they're sending plane after plane after plane back to Haiti. But that's that's just I mean, that's really like sticking your finger in that hole in the dike and then holes pop up everywhere else. Okay, so they send all these border agents down there. The border agents, um, some of them are on horseback because, again, that's what you need to kind of patrol these areas. So there's these films that are out. This is the way The New York Times describes it. Scenes from along the Rio Grande depicting what appears to 
to be a border patrol, border patrol officials mounted on horseback, chasing, grabbing and intimidating migrants, which would be people who are illegally crossing into this country, using their horses to physically block them from crossing further into the United States. In one video recorded by El Jazeera English, our friends, an agent can be heard using an expletive as he uses his horse to block and steer migrants back towards the river. Okay, what are the customs agents, what are the border agents supposed to do? Why send why send hundreds and hundreds of border agents down there if you're not going to use them to try to physically deter people and block them? I mean, I, it, it's it's like you can't have it both ways. Oh, no, we're going to try to guard the borders. We're going to send people down there, but then we're going to tell them not to do anything. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Jane in Waukesha. Hi, Jane. Hi. Um, so the reason I'm calling is because... Um, you know, just prior to this, you went on a rant about um, a stupid question asked by a reporter, and, um, okay. and and so clearly, I clearly I think you view yourself as smarter than than most people. So, here's my question to you: Is these are human beings who are running from a variety of horrible situations, and they're running to a country that we we as its citizens proclaim to be the best country in the world and you know we we do all this for the rest of the world and we feed everybody and whatever um and and yet we're supposed to treat them like animals and send them back from where they came well we don't um, have to treat them like uh, animals but we're supposed yes well, we are no, treating them like animals. well no no see jane okay so what is your answer is your answer open the borders let anybody who wants to come in come in no no that that's not my answer here's my answer is no well first number one i think it is cowardly and doesn't make you look remarkably smart. What is your answer? What is your answer to the okay, problem? Here's my answer. Okay. Well, first of all, what's your answer? Because you got no answers. You oh just no, no. I'll answer. Okay, I'll answer. I will give you an answer in just okay, a minute. But you tell me. Okay. You've got the solution. What okay. is your answer, Jane? Well, I, I, you know what? If I did have the solution, I I would run for office. Okay. But, all right. I will give. I, but here's my question. Here's my solution. Here's my solution. I don't understand, and I never have, why rather than dealing with people who are in unbelievably terrible situations and suffering from whether it be weather-related issues or crime-related issues, depending on where they're coming from, why don't we help the countries they're coming from to build a support system where they can take care of the issues that are causing people to come here? Okay. Because... Okay. All right. I understand. Okay. So I got it. Okay. okay. Thanks. I see. Okay. No. I. All right. So you you want to talk about foreign aid, and I, I don't have a strong feeling about that one way or the other. But I will give you the answer to the border issue. No country in the world can simply open up their borders to allow anybody who wants to come in to come in. We we cannot take care of all those people. And if you want to just understand that, look at what is going down on the border. Look at listen to what they're talking about in Del Rio, Texas, where they are just absolutely and totally overwhelmed. We have rules with regard to immigration. As a matter of fact, the Biden administration has just upped the number of refugees for next year to 125,000, which is going to include a lot of people from Afghanistan. And it's going to include some people from Haiti and some people from Mexico and some people from 
from other places. I have no problem at all with legal immigration. There are ways that you can come into this country legally. You can make the applications. But simply saying we're looking for a better life, and look, I, I respect that, but what we're going to do is we're going to show up at the United States and we're going to expect to be admitted. We're going to then expect the United States to provide the, the social network that's going to take care of all these people. That, to me, is is unacceptable. And like I say, there's no country, I, I think, at least no first world country that just would think that open borders is the approach. So, yes, if you want to come into this country, there are all sorts of ways that you can do it. And there's ways that you can do it legally. And I understand that that might not be the best way. But I don't know about this idea about treating people like animals. You've got people that are Again, coming into this country illegally, you've got two choices if you're a customs agent or a border patrol agent. One is to just let them come into the country and just kind of disappear and then deal with problems later. Or the other is to try to deter that, to try to turn them back. And and I think you just have to turn them back. Part of the problem also is the law. And I concede this. The law, again, is interpreted by some federal judges, say that if you get to the United States, all you have to do is is demand asylum, and then you cannot be sent back, regardless of the merits of your claim, until the asylum hearing gets processed, which may be three years, four years, five years, six years, whatever. That, I think, to the extent that is the law, that needs to change. I think you need to make people stay outside the country before you can allow them in and you have to you have to decide if you're going to grant them asylum in the first place not let them come in but i think that's kind of what the answer is i'll tell you something else jane as somebody who looks at the people that are in this country now the dreamers whether it's 8 million 9 million 10 million and i understand that there's a push to try to get either citizenship or get green cards or things like that something that candidly i i don't oppose but you're never going to get that through for those 8, 9, 10 million people who've been in this country for years until you get control of the border. Because if that's the case, then everybody becomes a dreamer. And you're going to have millions of people coming into this country and everybody's going to have to figure out how it is that you take care of them. Now, if you're saying, okay, well, maybe we should send more foreign aid to to Haiti to try to improve the conditions. I I don't know enough about our foreign policy with Haiti to know, you know, whether that would work or not. But I do know that we have to control our border. And unless and until we do control the border, nothing else can, can happen. And if you're going to send customs agents and border agents to try to control the border, what is the sense of then not telling them, gee, you see people that are pouring across the river here, just just let them pour across the river. I mean, that, that doesn't seem to me to be any answer at all. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Miller Mobility. Miller Mobility is your go-to for the best in stair lifts, scooters, ramps, lift chairs, and power recliners. They're great people. Give them a call at 262-549-4900 and do not forget to check out their new showroom. 36336, that's 36336, North Summit Village Way in Oconomowoc, Miller Mobility, now you can. All right. 
the one of the things that has been frustrating to me over the ongoing pandemic for the last 18 months has been what I, I think are, are mixed messages that, that end up getting sent out. And I, by the way, I understand that science changes. So I understand at the beginning of this, they come out and they say, you don't need to wear masks. And then three or four months later, they start to get more information on COVID-19. And they say, no, this is airborne and we need to, to wear masks. So I, I appreciate that science changes. The problem is that I think in many cases, it's not necessarily science, but you have both the CDC and the FDA that have been engaging in these sort of knee-jerk reactions. CDC says, you need booster shots. We, we want everybody to get booster shots. FDA says, well, no, we don't think everybody needs booster shots. There's not enough information. So unless you're over 65 or have you know some um, immune compromised system or getting treated for cancer or whatever, we don't recommend the booster shots. And it's just kind of all over the map. The same thing has been true with masks. Um, we were told that after you know the vaccinations came out and people started getting vaccinated, we were told the recommendation was, hey, if you're fully vaccinated, there is no need to wear a mask indoors. Well, okay, so that kind of caught people by surprise. So th- that was the rule. Then, you know, a few weeks later, it's, well, never mind. Now we, we think that maybe we do want to recommend people, even if you're fully vaccinated, to wear a mask indoors. And, and it's just kind of all over the map. So as a result of that, you have different communities that are reacting in different ways. San Francisco has been one of the most... I think I would be fair to say aggressive communities, not surprised given the, its liberal orientation, one of the most uh, aggressive communities in, in clamping down on people's travel and people's conduct um, during the course of, of the pandemic. And San Francisco has a very, very aggressive mask rule. Regardless of whether you are vaccinated or not, if you are inside in San Francisco, um, inside any building that's open to the public, the rule is that you wear a mask. Now, there is an exception to that, and the exception is if you are actively eating or drinking, you, you know, you don't have to wear a mask because you can't actively either eat or, or drink you know, you, you can't drink when you've got the mask on. Now, the health order, and I have it in front of me, says that individuals can take off their masks while actively eating or drinking. It goes on to say that people should be seated at a table or positioned at a stationary counter or, or place while eating or drinking. Those requirements apply to movie theaters, live entertainment venues, in addition to indoor dining, and are supposed to be followed by all San Franciscans, regardless of vaccination status. So the idea is, this is the rule, you've you got to wear a mask anytime you're indoors. However, if you are at, uh, presumably, if you're at your table, um, you can take off you can take off your mask while you're seated, seated at the table if you're actively eating or drinking. All right. Now, you might argue that that rule is an overreach. You might argue that the rule is unnecessary. But that is the rule, which brings me to the mayor of San Francisco, a woman named London Breed. All right. So last week, Ms. Breed goes out uh, on the town in San Francisco. And as if this isn't as if people don't realize that when you're going to go out in public that everybody's got like the cell phone cameras that can take videos and things of this. So what she does is she goes with friends of hers to San Francisco's Black Cat Nightclub, 
where members of the R&B group Tony, Tony, Tony were performing. Apparently, this is a, this is a great show. All right, so she's there. She's at this place, and there are videos of her standing up and, and dancing. Okay, that that's great. She's having fun. She's rocking out. That's great. Well, she she's not wearing a mask while she's dancing, and she's surrounded by all these friends who are also kind of like dancing, and they're rocking out, and they're taking pictures themselves, none of whom are wearing masks. Okay, so this video then goes viral, and people are saying, okay, well, this is sort of interesting. We, we have one of the most aggressive indoor mask rules in the country, and here you have the mayor who's out not paying attention to the, the mask rule because she's inside, she's dancing, she's having a great time. So here's what her response is when confronted this. And, and again, I sort of love this because it fits in the category of when you're wrong, be strong. Instead of apologizing and saying, okay, I just, I got carried away with this. I, I recognize that, you know, what I was doing was wrong in violation of this. She she gets aggressive. She says, don't feel as though you have to be micromanaged about mask wearing. Like we don't need the fun police to come in and try to micromanage us and tell us what we should or should not be doing. We know what we need to do to protect ourselves, she told reporters on Friday. No one has been more conservative about protecting themselves than I have, not just because I want to set an example, but because I do not want to get COVID. She says, well, you know, I, I was out and yes, I, I had a drink on on the table. And yes, I, I know that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I was actively eating and drinking because I had this drink that was, in fact, on the table. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So you have the mayor of San Francisco who is now busted for violating the health department's mask rule. And and she's decided to go on the offensive saying, hey, I mean, uh, you know, where is the fun police here? You know, from my perspective, I was there, I was eating and drinking. And by the way, everyone who came in there was was vaccinated. Well, okay, what about the little people? I mean, what about all the other people that were vaccinated who, if they're not wearing their masks when they're in these clubs, they're going to get ticketed or they're going to get cited? Or what about all the employees who are required to wear masks? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I appreciate the comment about the fun police. I, I get it. This is a classic example to me of maybe maybe these indoor mask rules in an era of vaccinations are, in fact, an overreach. But I don't even want to discuss that aspect of it. This is a point of are there two standards, one for the average person and then one for the well, in this case, the politically connected, the, the, in this case, the mayor of San Francisco, who obviously feels that those rules that apply to all the little people don't apply to her. What a hypocrite. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and maybe, maybe this is a justification for maybe the fund police don't need to be getting involved and worrying about whether people, if they're vaccinated, are wearing masks in indoor settings or not. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I, I admit, the, these stories, you just 
cannot make them up. Here's a text. Jeff, yes, it's double standards. If somebody confronts me in the grocery store about not wearing a mask and I respond back with quit being the fun police, I'll probably make the local news as an aggressive anti-masker. Yes, yes, you will. So I'm curious, like um, Racine, for example, has reinstituted its indoor mask mandate. All right. And again, I believe for the Racine rule, it's the same exception that they have in, in San Francisco. Very aggressive. You know, you have to wear a mask indoors except when you are actively eating or drinking. So that the question becomes, all right, if you get somebody who gets up from the table and is walking to use the bathroom and they're not wearing their their mask, all right, you know what, and somebody confronts them, is that now the line? Hey, stop being the fun police. It's just the screaming hypocrisy of this story that's, you know, out there, this idea of, you know, the, the rules the rules apply to the let them eat, eat cake folks, you know, the, the little people, but they don't necessarily apply to us. And what's so amazing to me about this story is is the arrogance of some of these elected officials and some of these elitist, in this case, liberals, that, that they're just there's no shame at this at all. Instead of simply saying, you know, I made a mistake. I, I was at this, this club. I was with my friends. You know, we'd had a couple drinks. We were eating and stuff. The, the music was great. We got up and we started dancing. And you know what? We should have been wearing our masks. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. And I, I'm going to try to do better next time. I mean, which is the way if, if you handle that, well, then, then you make it kind of a one-day story because, yeah, you're, you're sort of a hypocrite because you're not following those rules, but at least they're acknowledging that these are the rules that your administration has put in place, and we, we all make mistakes, okay? I, I get that. But it's amazing that this is not the response that this mayor, the mayor of San Francisco takes. It's the aggressive, when you're wrong, be strong. How dare you question me? I can't believe this story is about masks. And by the way, we're all vaccinated. Well, okay, that, that's fine. That is a reason why, if you're going to be in a situation where everybody's vaccinated, maybe there's really not a justification for having the indoor mask rules, like the CDC said at one time. But I don't even want to go down that route. But instead of just acknowledging that what you did was wrong, at least in violation of your rules, well, I don't want to be the fun police. Well, the, these people are the fun police. That That's it. You know, it's it's the folks... In some of these health departments and some of the, their backers, their political supporters, that they are the fun police that's out there. That's what their role is. One of our texters says this elitist group started the fun police. She just got hoisted on her own petard. I wonder how the view is. Well, I, I just it's this reaction that how dare you question me about this? Don't you realize that I I take precautions? I'm, I'm vaccinated. All my friends were vaccinated. Yeah, we were just out there having a, a good time. OK, I get all that then maybe what you need to do is reassess the rules in San Francisco, reassess the rules in Racine, and maybe this idea that you're going to make people who are fully vaccinated wear masks when they're around other people that are fully vaccinated, maybe, you know, maybe that doesn't make any sense. Maybe that is being the fun police. Okay, you know, maybe they need to rethink that, which is something that I'm more than willing to discuss. But as long as those rules are the rules... (laughs) 
it's interesting to me that the top elected official in San Francisco, of all places, doesn't think that rule applies to her. And, of course, this is a pattern that's emerging. You remember before Nancy Pelosi, who decides that, you know, when everything else is shut down, she still arranges to go to the hair salon to get her hair done. Uh, the governor of California, Garrett Newsom, who just survived the recall effort. Remember when, when everything, they had all the rules about, you know, no indoor involvement or things like that. You know, he shows up at the, the fancy party not wearing a mask and they have the spe- special dinners. It's just the screaming hypocrisy of all this that makes you just want to absolutely bang your head on the wall and go, you know, where are these double standards and why aren't people held accountable for them? The fun police indeed. I'm not exactly sure what the point of this story is, uh, other than um, Rebecca Clayfish, former lieutenant governor, announced candidate for the Republican candidate, not Republican nomination for governor next year. And, and I think, you know, Becky is emerging as the, the leading candidate. There might be other people who get in the race, but I think she's she's out there early. She's raised a bunch of money. She is going to, in my opinion, be a very, very formidable candidate, which means that right now she's getting a lot of she's, she's being targeted. Lots of lots of negative stories about her planted in the press and the press, the press then runs with these these various stories. And she's clearly got a target on her back because, again, she's going to be the person who's going to, I think, most likely to challenge you know Tony Evers. So here, here's the headline of the story. Former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish tests positive for COVID-19 while on campaign trail for governor. Well, okay, Rebecca Clayfish has been vaccinated. She's actually a colon cancer survivor. She was vaccinated um, last spring, apparently, and she's out campaigning and she's meeting people and she's talking to folks. And apparently she was exposed to somebody who I guess had COVID at a church event um, in northwestern Wisconsin on September 12th. And then she learned of her exposure four days later, took a test, got a positive result on Friday, and is apparently feeling well. I don't get the idea that she's getting any major symptoms, but, you know, she's she's doing what you're supposed to do when, you know, you, you test positive for for COVID. Now, the story in the paper says, Cleefish does not traditionally wear a mask when speaking to groups or glad-handing with supporters. So I guess I, I don't know what the point of that is. Is it to try to suggest that she's somehow being irresponsible when she's out there and meeting people? Well, my argument would be, look, here, here you have somebody and, you know, you're out there, you're meeting people, you're living life and you are campaigning. You've taken the precaution of getting yourself vaccinated. Uh, this idea that, okay, is there an implication that she did something wrong about this? And if so, my, my argument would be no. She's doing everything that's right. You know, she's there. She got herself vaccinated. Now, apparently, you know, she's tested positive for COVID. So she will hopefully come through this with flying colors. Maybe when she's eligible for the booster vaccine, she's going to get it. But this idea that, well, she's now tested positive while on the campaign trail for governor, you know, at some point in time, people are going to have to get out. They're going to interact. If this was a situation where she had not been vaccinated, then I guess I understand the point of the story. Maybe the point of the story is here's somebody else who made the decision not to get vaccinated and, and look, this is you know what happened to them. In this particular case, though, she's done everything right. She's ended up getting vaccinated herself, and she's still one of these breakthrough cases. So is this something that somebody would suggest, well, that Becky Clayfish did something wrong? Don't think so. I think it's more like, here's the bottom line. We do realize that vaccinations are the way out of this mess, but you recognize that vaccinations aren't going to be perfect. 
and that's maybe a reason why you end up needing booster shots. So, yes, Becky Clayfish tests positive for COVID while on the campaign trail for governor. She's vaccinated. Maybe, again, maybe some people are going to look at that and use that as a justification for not getting vaccinated. I hope that's not the case. But um, clearly, in the mainstream media, Becca Clayfish has a target on her back. And anything that she does, any spin that can be put on things that she says, and anything that, I don't know, you have people out there that can use to possibly try to question her judgment or whatever, that's going to happen. In this particular case, just don't see it. Hope she gets better soon. And I guess it is a reminder to all of us that, you know, COVID is still out there, even for people who have been vaccinated. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Watched, um, I, I was out, uh, we were out to dinner with some friends, and so I, I missed the first quarter or so of the Packers game, and it sounds like I didn't miss anything there. I, I turned on the radio as we were leaving the restaurant, and the Packers were driving for the first touchdown, but they were behind seven to nothing. And it, it was, um, it was, it was a bleak first half. I did not see the game last week. We were on our way back from uh, Europe, but uh, it, it was kind of bleak. And the first half was not very good either. Uh, the offense scored some points, but they they kind of turned it around. You still don't know what this team is, I, and I think that's. Maybe that's one of the interesting things. I they, they go out to San Francisco uh, tomorrow on next Sunday night, and boy, you have no idea what team is going to show up. And is the offense as good as it looked during the second half last night? Is the defense as bad as it looked during the first half last night against Detroit? Just just have have no clue and difficult to get a handle on how good this team is. I was also flipping back and forth because you had the Packers game on. Of course, there was the Brewers playing the St. Louis Cardinals. Brewers still their magic number is still three, which is any combination of St. Louis losses and Brewers wins, and then the Brewers win the Central Division. Now, the Brewers are going to win the Central Division because they're, they're ten and a half games ahead, but St. Louis has won nine games in a row. They're they're getting hot at the right time. Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, always says that it's not necessarily who you play, it's when they play them, and St. Louis is certainly rounding into form, and yeah, they could, they could be very, very formidable. Hopefully, I'm going to the baseball game tonight with a friend of mine who is is a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Um, hopefully the Brewers will be able to win tonight, win tomorrow, win on Thursday, and then just kind of get ready to get their self all set up for the playoffs. But fun time to be a Wisconsin sports fan, no question about it. All right. When we have talked about COVID vaccine mandates in the past, we have typically talked about them from the perspective of of adults. Should the government require people to get vaccinated? Should the government require people, if you want to fly on an airplane, you have to be vaccinated? Should the government essentially say to healthcare agencies, if your employees are, are not vaccinated, we're not going to give you federal money, which essentially means you're going to have to shut down. But we've talked about it from the perspective of, of grownups, you know, adults who then get a chance to make that decision. Hey, if you're somebody who doesn't, for whatever reason, want to get vaccinated, you're told, well, you're going to lose your job. Well, at least you get to make that decision. All right. It's always been from the perspective of adults. But what about kids? Now, I bring this up from two things. First of all, the announcement today by Pfizer that says that they have a vaccine that they believe is safe and effective to give to children 
between the ages of 5 and 11. It's essentially the same dose that grown-ups get, but it's only a third. So it's it's a third result. But they say, hey, look, we, we've done all these testings with this testing, and, and we believe that it is uh, effective. They say, you know, at the same time, the same sort of complications that can occur in, in adults, we're also finding occurs in, in kids, 5 to 11. Most common side effects are pain or swelling at the injection site, headache, chills, muscle aches, fatigue, and fever. But so they say, you know, it's going to be expect, you know, whatever happens to grownups, expect it to happen to the kids as well. So they anticipate that by Halloween, they're going to have approval to do it on an emergency basis, to give out the Pfizer vaccine on an emergency basis. Right. Right now, we know for kids older than 11, there's already the vaccine that's available and has, in fact, been approved. Well, here's what I want to discuss out in L.A., which is the second largest public school system in the country. The L.A. School Board has just voted to require all students, as a condition of being able to attend public school, all students age 12 and up must be fully vaccinated. Those who take part in sports and other extracurricular activities should have taken both shots by the end of October all students have, other students have until December 19th. All right. New York City school system has mandated vaccinations for student athletes, but not for everyone else. So now that presumably over the course of the next couple of weeks, you're going to have the Pfizer vaccine approved for children as young as five. And already you've got the approval for people ages 12 to 18. I want to talk to you about mandatory vaccinations for kids. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think the government should require as a condition, for example, of a child being able to go to school? Do you think that child should be required to be vaccinated. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. And what makes this interesting is, of course, it's not the kid. Now, it's it, unlike, again, the, the person that works at the nursing home and has the choice about whether or not they want to get vaccinated, understanding that they say no, they might lose their job. Uh, uh, kids don't really have these choices. So it's up to the parents to make that decision. Should the government require Children who want to attend public schools to be vaccinated. Is there really enough of a justification for this, given the fact that while kids can get COVID and that kids can get sick from COVID, typically there is not you, you, you don't have the emergency rooms and the hospitals that are filled up with with 11 year olds because of COVID. Does it happen occasionally? Yes, it does. Is that enough of a justification to require that all children be vaccinated? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October is on as the crew closes in on another NL Central title. Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre calls Brewers Baseball right here on WTMJ. And if you live in southeast Wisconsin, you can also listen online, on your phone, and on Alexa. It's the hunt for Brew October, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, 855-616-1620. All right, they expect within the next couple weeks there's going to be emergency approval of uh, the Pfizer 
COVID vaccine um, that's going to be approved for kids ages 5 to 11. It's the same dose that adults get, except it's, it's cut in thirds. So, it, but it's the same, it's the same essential vaccine. It's just a third of the regular dose. Already you have for kids 12 to 18, it's also been approved. To go to public school in LA, you have to be vaccinated. Is that a bridge too far? Should we be requiring the COVID vaccinations for children? Let's start with Vincent on the Northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Uh, good, af- good afternoon, Jeff. Yes, uh, you know, what's new? The fact is, uh, when I was young, they lined us up in, in, in the auditorium and we got the polio vaccine. Yep. And we didn't have we didn't have a choice to say we didn't want to take the vaccine. We had to take it. The fact is, up to several years ago, you had to have a panel of, uh, of vaccinations even to attend school, mm-hmm. you know, such as the measles vaccine. So what, what what's different about well, the uh, government well, saying that you need to have a, another vaccine? Well, let me uh, ask you this school. is I guess is polio the same as covid? As no, far as severity. no, it's not. It, it, no, it's it, it's not the same. It's same same uh, uh, pathological disease. But the fact is, it, it, the fact is, you have to you have to have the vaccination, mm-hmm. and 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 it wasn't like, oh well, right. I had a choice in the matter. And and the point is, it is is measles the same? Mm-hmm. The measles the measles is probably not the same. But the fact is, you had to have, hey, you had to have your measles vaccine in order to attend school. So. So the fact is, if the government feels that there's a, a justification for public health, then then then, then certainly you know uh, they, they should be able to say, yeah, you need to be in order to attend school, you need this vaccine. vaccine. Should we require um, all kids to get the flu shot? And I understand COVID is different than the flu, but uh, I mean, if, if we believe the flu shot is effective, should that be a condition? Everybody has to get the flu shot every year. I would think so. I, I think the fact is is that they 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 become so laxed in in, in demanding that kids get vaccines vaccines lately that uh, uh, that, that that this is why we have a problem with kids getting sick getting sick and then we have these absentees. But the fact is, I think yeah, you should be able to say, hey, you know, you need to get the flu vaccine if it's if it deals with public health. Okay. Now, thanks for calling. See, now that that position is at least consistent. The idea that. And, and and by the way, I, I always have to say this for people who might be new listeners to the program. I, I am not anti-vaccine, although I have issues with vaccine mandates. I, I'm vaccinated. I get the flu shot every year. You know, I'm, I, I don't know what the flu shot numbers are, but I mean, if it's 40 or 50 percent, I, I get the flu shot every year because I, I think I, I'm, I don't have reactions to these these shots. It works out fine for me. And yes, there was a year, I think two years ago, that I got the flu shot. I got the flu anyways. But it was a much milder case than I think I would have otherwise had. So I'm not anti-vaccines. But I guess this is, at at some point in time, do we now say, okay, we're we're going to require kids. And Vincent is absolutely right. We require measles. We require, you know, the the polio vaccine that's out there. So he's absolutely right. For for some diseases, we, we do that. Is that a justification for all diseases? And is the incidence of COVID so severe among kids, for example, that it would justify requiring that? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Nancy in Burlington. Hi, Nancy. Hey, Jeff. Um, Amen to Vincent there. Um, uh, Should we mandate the COVID vaccine for kids? Absolutely. Should we mandate the flu vaccine for kids? Nah, you know. Why not? I'm curious, why not? Well, because flu is dangerous. 
flu is dangerous mm-hmm. to kids who have asthma. Flu is dangerous to grandma and grandpa. Um, kids, it, COVID is different. COVID has causes this inflammatory process in the mm-hmm. body that can kill children. Mm-hmm. And I want to see the schools back open and safe. Mm-hmm. I want to see my granddaughters vaccinated. They're 11 and under. Um, I'm so excited about that. The pneumonia vaccine, I heard Carol Kane talking about the other day. Oh, I had the pneumonia vaccine. Oh, I still got pneumonia three times anyway. Okay, it's pneumococcal. It's streptococcus pneumonia. Mm-hmm. You might have had different pneumonias. But, you know, Grandpa spent six days, my husband spent six days at Lakeland last year. Mandated for kids. I was so upset in church on Sunday. 50% of the congregation is 60 and over. The praise band is singing. Not a single one of them had masks on. Mm-hmm. I, I went up and I talked to them. Okay, I'm an old RN. P- please, you guys should still be masking with the praise band singing. If not for you, for the kids in the congregation, we are a selfish self-centered society and i agree with vincent we lined up we got our measles vaccines we got our polio vaccines i i don't get it i i don't get this society okay thanks for calling nancy i appreciate the perspective 855-616-1620 which is the acunet mortgage talk and and text line see now part of the the thing that that goes in is there's always there there's always a, a balancing we, we don't require kids to get the flu shot because even though children who get the flu, you know, can have adverse reactions, I think the argument would be in general, you, you get the flu and, and yes, you, you can end up dead from the flu. And I, I appreciate COVID's not the flu, but, but we, we make this, this balancing that look, nobody wants to get the flu, but if you get the flu, in most cases, you're, you're going to be sick for a couple of days and then you're going to recover. So we make the balancing saying we're not going to require people to get this particular vaccine because the likelihood that somebody's going to get really, really sick and end up in the emergency room or end up dead is, is not, there's not a great likelihood to it. So the government is going to require you to do it. On the other hand, I get it. Polio, debilitating disease if if you get it. So I understand where there was that rationale. Measles, I, I'm a big believer that people should be vaccinated against measles because, again, especially with adults who haven't been vaccinated, you get measles and it can be a very bad thing. On the other hand, measles, I understand, is a very typical childhood disease for most people. Remember back in the day, they used to, I'm told, have measles parties where one kid gets measles, you bring all the other kids over, so everybody gets measles, then you get immunity and you get past it. So it's always that balancing. And I guess the question for me is, with, with COVID, given the fact that, yes, it is true that children in some rare cases can have extremely bad reactions, is that enough justification to say to all kids that you're going to have to have this vaccine. 855-616-1620. Is COVID, the COVID vaccine, is it closer to polio or is it closer to the flu shot? Or should we just simply say you need to be inoculated against everything? We continue the conversation in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, I think some of this conversation takes the eye off what is the important thing. And, and to me, 
the most important thing to get out of this pandemic is to figure out a way to get more adults vaccinated. And and when, for example, the Los Angeles school board says we're going to mandate kids get it, it, it in many respects creates a, a diversion. I mean, I, here's here's the numbers. I, I pulled out, let's follow the science, I pulled out the number from the Centers for Disease Control. Okay, and, and they, these are the numbers from hospitals across the country. And what they say is between March of 2020, when this all really hit the fan and late August of 2021. So I I don't have the last couple weeks, but but essentially that period of time, people under the age of 18 have accounted for less than 2% of the hospitalizations due to COVID-19. A total of 3,649 children between that period of time. Some children do get very sick and more than 420 have died in the United States. But the overwhelming majority of those with severe illnesses have been adults. And that is a trend that has been borne out in many parts of the world. And scientists, I'm, I'm looking at some of these studies, they're, they're starting to do the research and, and they feel that in, in the case of kids, what's happening is that you, you've got the, the innate response that kids have, kind of that natural um, immune response that, that's there. So, I mean, I, I understand that the number of, of kids that are probably going to get sick uh, might might increase a little bit as the more and more adults get vaccinated. But my, my point of, on this is, look, if, if I had if I had a 12 year old, I would encourage them to get vaccinated. I, I, I would. I think, though, that this is one of these things where but government mandating kids get vaccinated for COVID. Because I do believe COVID, while it's not the flu, COVID is also not polio. And I think by getting this, by saying, okay, we're going to mandate there's a condition of going to public school, you have to get your kid vaccinated. I think that is a distraction that creates this other fight that diverts us from where we really need to be paying more attention, which is, you know, how can we convince more and more adults to get vaccinated? Because the just looking at the science and looking at the raw numbers the reality is that's where the overriding problem is. That's where the majority of the people who are hospitalized are coming from. It's not kids. It's adults, even though we've got vaccinations that are available. So I think you have to pick your battles. At some point in time, if I were king, I, I would say, look, if you're a parent and you want to you want to get your kid vaccinated, go with God. It makes sense to me. Talk to your pediatrician. Make that decision. Should the government be telling people that, OK, you have to have your 12 year old vaccinated or else they can't go to school? I just think that is a distraction that is picking a fight, which we're not in a position to fight that particular battle. Now, we should be fighting the battle of figuring out how we can get more people who are vulnerable, how we can get more people who statistically are more likely to end up in the emergency rooms or in the hospitals or in the morgue. If they get covid, how can we figure out a way to get them vaccinated? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The school year is officially underway, and all kids deserve a safe, safe space to reach age-appropriate milestones and overcome developmental challenges. Please join our very own Gene Miller from WTMJ all month to help raise money for Penfield Children's Center in Milwaukee. To learn more about how you can help and about the mission of Penfield Children's Center, go to WTMJ.com. WTMJ Cares is sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. One call. That is all. All right. Uh, interesting development. Uh, J- Joe Biden is he's, he's getting slammed on all sides. And as I was pointing out yesterday, it's been just an awful 
several days for the, the Biden administration. Everything's kind of blowing up his face. You had the stock market meltdown that occurred yesterday. You have the complete cluster that is going on at, at the border. And it, it's very clear that, that I think President Biden owns this. Uh, this would not have been happening if Donald Trump was the, the president. But Biden has sent at best mixed messages about whether or not people who come and show up at the border are going to be allowed to stay. And now you have this, this huge crisis that is going on and there, there's no easy answer because we've let this particular problem go out uh, occur you on friday afternoon you had the biden administration acknowledge that this drone strike that they did in afghanistan to presumably you know um, for retribution from the, the suicide bombing well it ended up killing seven you know seven people who were not associated with terrorists at all including women and children so you you had that story that was going on you had the report coming out about how france which is one of our you know, historical allies, France was extremely upset because the U.S. went behind the back of the French government and essentially cut them out of a submarine deal. I mean, I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but it's kind of interesting. France had cut a nine, I think it was billion dollar deal to buy all to sell all these submarines to non-nuclear powered submarines to Australia. Australia is taking, even though they're not a member of NATO, Australia is taking a greater role in sort of watching China in like the the China Sea and things like that. So um, Australia wanted submarines and they cut this deal with France. But what France was going to do is they were going to sell them non-nuclear submarines. Well, these older technology submarines don't have the range that a nuclear submarine has. They're much easier to detect, et cetera, et cetera. So Australia decided they want to get nuclear submarines. So they cut a deal with the United States, and the United States is now going to sell them nuclear submarines. Well, the the issue to me isn't... You know, should the United States sell them nuclear submarines? That that that's all well and good because I think it's in everybody's interest for one of our major allies, Australia, to have the, these state-of-the-art submarines, especially if the idea is to try to keep China under control. The problem, though, is that Biden did it behind the back of the French. I mean, they just completely and totally pulled the rug out from under the French government, who thought they had this, you know, big, enormous contract to build and provide Australia with submarines. And then it turns out that, again, the Biden administration was negotiating with Australia behind the back of of our of our allies. My point was not so much. Hey, do we want to have Australia? Is it good for the U.S. to get the contract? Is it good for Australia to have the nuclear submarines? That, that, the answer to that is all yes. It's that if Donald Trump would have gone behind the back and essentially gotten, you know, talked to another ally to get them to pull the plug on this deal, this would have been a headline story. There would have been screaming criticism from everybody in Congress about this isn't how you treat your allies, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, Biden does it, and you you just kind of get a peep on this. But at the same time, France is just absolutely livid. France pulled back their ambassadors from both the United States and Australia to figure out how to handle this particular thing. And again, it's not so much the deal. It's the underhanded way that it was conducted. And, And this is having some backlash. So you've got all these different things that are going on, and Joe Biden is trying to figure out how to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And, oh, by the way, did I mention that COVID is out of control again? So you've got, you know, one of the things that was keeping his approval ratings up early 
in his administration was this perception that, that COVID was getting better. Well, well, now I think that perception is gone. And now we're in these fights about, you know, should the government mandate people to get vaccines and should people lose their jobs and all that? And it's turned out to be extremely divisive. So it it's, has not been a good couple weeks for the Biden administration. And the question is, is it getting worse instead of better? So in an effort to try to appease some of our European allies, the Biden administration threw them a bone yesterday. When I went to France a couple weeks ago, there there were no limitations on people from the U.S. traveling, for example, to, to Europe, except, number one, you had to be vaccinated. Okay, so that was the rule. In order to get on the plane and to get into the country, you had to have your vaccination card. You had to prove that you were, in fact, vaccinated. But that was it. You know, as long as you had the vaccination card, you could get in, you, you, you could go. And then once you got to France, you needed the vaccination card to get into different places. But Europe was open to American travelers. In contrast, the United States has not been open to European travelers. So there, there was no sort of reciprocity at all. If you were somebody in France who wanted to come and vacation in the U.S., you were not allowed to do that, even if you had been vaccinated. Same thing applies to you know, Spain. Same thing applies to Italy. And this had created a huge rift um, among the European nations going, well, wait a second. We're, we're open. We're allowing Americans. And in many cases, depending on where you're coming from in America, there might be a higher incidence of COVID than there is in our particular country. But as long as you're vaccinated, we're going to allow you to come in, but you're not reciprocating. And the Biden administration it suggested about three months ago that they were going to lift this, but they never got around to doing it until, I believe, yesterday. They finally said, okay, well, effective November, we're going to allow people from Europe who are fully vaccinated to travel on non-essential business, meaning vacation travelers and stuff. And there are throwing a bone to people in Europe. This is something, in my opinion, that they should have done long ago. I mean, the concern I don't think we should have is whether or not people who are vaccinated come in from Europe. Our concern should be perhaps, I don't know, what's going on with thousands of people who are pouring in through the southern border who who aren't vaccinated and might not get vaccinated. The vaccinated travel is different. The one other thing that the U.S. has that the European countries do not have is that in order to get back into the country, so let's say you're you're in France, in order to get back into the country, not only do you have to prove that you are vaccinated, but you also have to prove that you have received a COVID test within 72 hours and that test has turned up negative, which is why we came back um, a week ago Sunday. So on, on that Friday, Everybody in my group had to get a COVID test and everybody, you know, turned out negative. But, you know, they, they check that coming back in. So the United States, even though in some cases we're, we're arguably in a worse position on COVID than a lot of European countries, we're still putting in all these requirements in order to travel and get back in the country that Europe doesn't have. This has been a real criticism from European countries about the Biden administration. They're finally starting to relax that, whether it's going to be enough to make Europe 
I don't know, less unhappy is a different story. And I just find this all ironic because for four years we heard about how, you know, Europe hated Trump and Trump was a clown and Trump was all this and Trump was all that and we're so welcoming for Biden. Well, if you read between the lines, a lot of European countries aren't very happy with Joe Biden. Not that you'd necessarily know that from the tone of some of the coverage. When we come back, you want fries with that? I'll explain. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So I was at dinner last night, and I was talking to the owner of the restaurant. And I, I said, well, how things going? I said, because this particular restaurant, whenever I drive by, it seems to be very busy. It was very busy last night on a Monday night. And she told me, said, well, said we're doing fine. We've got the customers back. But the problem is, just like everybody else, we cannot find help. So that that's the the biggest challenge is is finding servers and finding cooks and finding the you know, bus persons and all that. She said it, it's just it's an ongoing struggle and we pay above market wage, but we we just it is very very difficult to get people to to work. And she said that, that's not new. You, you see this problem all over. And this isn't what I would describe as a fine dining establishment. It's even worse in fast food restaurants. Um, the, the estimates are that there's about 10 million job openings in the United States, and roughly about one out of six are in the leisure and hospitality section that includes food service workers. So it's just the, these restaurants are really struggling, and that, that problem is more acute than ever in the fast food places. There's a story that I'm looking at in the Washington Post from the other day, and, it, and it's talking to operators of fast food franchises, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, the the various burger doodles from all across the the country. And and what they're saying is, first of all, they cannot find people to to work. Um, A lot of them, you know, had to scale back during COVID. What happened is a lot of people decided, hey, I I don't want to work over a, a hot grill. I'd rather go work somewhere else, and jobs are plentiful for these, you know, sort of comparable things. You know, if you're making nine bucks an hour, you know, grilling burgers or flipping burgers, you can go make nine or ten dollars an hour across the street, and and maybe it's a more desirable sort of thing. So you've got that that's going on that people just are are leaving, and they're they're not coming back, and they cannot be replaced. So one of the things that at least you're seeing now that is a trend that might become a permanent thing is more and more of these fast food restaurants that close their interior dining during the pandemic because, okay, we, you know, don't want people, you know, sitting close quarters or things like that. Well, the original thought was, okay, they're going to start opening these up again. But even in some of the places that have opened up the interior dining, now they're closing again because they, they don't have enough people to maintain this. So at least the premise that this story has, and I think there's some merit to it, is that moving forward, that the whole scope of fast food restaurants, not fine dining restaurants, but fast food restaurants, may in fact change. And the estimates are, moving forward, a majority, maybe even a super majority of these restaurants are going to get rid of the interior dining areas. They're going to go to drive-through exclusively. 
because what they find is number one, you need fewer people if you're if you're running a drive-through than you do if you have like the people actually coming into the restaurant. So you need fewer people. It's easier to get the food processed. It's easier to get done if you don't have also the counter service. Plus, so you can do more with fewer folks. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is going to be one of the changes that has come as a result of the pandemic. I'm not arguing that every fast food restaurant everywhere is going to do away with the in-person counter service, but I think this is the wave of the future. And I think for more and more people, if you're going to want to go through the, the if you're going to want to go to the, the, the burger doodle, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to recognize that you're getting it to take out and you're going to eat it in your car or find a public park or someplace like that somewhere else where you can eat it. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you agree with me? Will this, and I understand there's going to be some people who are upset about it. There's going to be some people saying, hey, I used to like to go to the McDonald's and sit around and get my cup of coffee and chew the fat with a bunch of my friends for a couple hours, you know, in a morning. I I understand that, that people like that. I just think moving forward, those days may be gone. 855 616 1620. If I'm right, Will you miss them, or is this just the the wave of the future? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a minute. I think one of the casualties of COVID moving forward in this economy is I think there's going to be a lot of fast food restaurants that aren't going to close, but they're going to close to indoor dining. In other words, if you want you want to eat at the Burger Doodle, you go through the drive-in, and I think you're starting to see that going on now. Let's start with Tom in Wilmot. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, you know, one of the byproducts of that, and you saw it a lot when COVID was really active and a lot of the restaurants had completely shut down all of their interior dining, was that you can't, get, you can't find a bathroom to yeah. go to. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many times you've you got to dunk, you know, jump into McDonald's or Wendy's and, hey, you may buy something or you may not. But if you're out on the road and you need some place to go, you need some place to go. Yeah, no, I think you're, I mean, thank, I, I, would, I was trying to think. I think the... Okay, I don't I don't patronize fast food that often anymore, but I can't the, the the only time I can think of in the last couple years that I have actually gone into a fast food restaurant was exactly that situation that you're talking about, Tom. You know, we're we're, we're coming back from Door County or whatever and you you got to go to the bathroom and so, you know, you, you stop off at the McDonald's and you run in and you you buy a burger, you buy a soda or a cup of coffee or something and you use the bathroom. That I, that so for me, I I'm just been a creature of, of the drive-through, but you're exactly right. That's going to be one of the issues. It's going to be okay for people who are out and about and you want a clean place to do your business. Those may very well go away. But, of course, from the perspective of, uh, again, the, the fast food franchise owners, all right, it, it costs money to maintain those bathrooms and stuff. And so, you know, it's, again, it's you need people that are going to do that. Well, if you don't have bathrooms that are open to the public, you know, will that hurt you? Will that cost you business? Um, is it a marketplace thing? Michelle and Grafton. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Well, like you, I don't really go to fast food restaurants anymore, except for McDonald's does have great coffee Mm -hmm. when it's fresh. So um, that's pretty much what I do. And in Grafton, I asked the girl the other day, well, do you think your dining area will ever reopen? I think the last time I was there was when my my youngest, my baby, who is now 28, 
um, mm-hmm. would play in the play area, which is way will never reoccur. And she said, yeah, well, our dining area is going to be open now from 7A to 7P. So they just changed the dining area and they made the tables farther apart. And there's no play area for kids or anything like that, but that you can do indoor dining in Grafton. And um, and it's funny you said I was just on my way home from Door County about a month ago, and um, we stopped and it was a McDonald's, but it was attached to a gas station so that they did have right. the restaurant. Right. No. <laughs> no. No. They, no. I mean, it, it, it's a huge issue. Um, you know, no question. Uh, Jeff, I had this happen to me twice last week. I walked up to the entrance of the fast food restaurant, and there was a written sign stating no inside service due to not enough employees. This happened to two different establishments. Yeah, I think, look, I, I don't think there's any question that this this is at least short term. That This is the wave of the future. So if, if you, now long term, I, I don't know, maybe Maybe the fast food restaurants will figure out ways to get employees back. Maybe they'll, they'll figure out a way to, all right, we'll, we'll pay people 15 and $20 an hour, and that'll inspire people to come back and, and work for us again. Maybe that'll all happen. I, I don't know. My crystal ball isn't clear on that. But I do think in the for the near future, I think the trend is going to be away from indoor dining. So if you want to go to Chick-fil-A, and I'm a huge fan of Chick-fil-A, you know, just get prepared to wait in line in the drive-thru. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. A lot of people apparently are driving back from Door County. Jeff, I'm a route driver. I'm coming back from Door County. That McDonald's that uh, the McDonald's, the eat-in, is closed right now because of the lack of employees. Yeah, th- this and, and this is not a, a unique thing. And I, this we, We've talked about this repeatedly on the program. Uh, th- that's been one of the changes with the pandemic. Now, I, I think there's going to be more people re-entering the workforce because you, you now have the, the $300 extra week federal unemployment assistance. That's gone away. So I think you know, more people are going to go in, but I, I don't know that they're necessarily going to go back to those jobs because I think what ended up happening is I think that, you know, during COVID, there were a lot of people that maybe they were working in the fast food industry, for example, and they decided, I don't know, to look elsewhere, maybe because the place closed or whatever, or because they heard that there's a better offer going on and so somewhere else. And so I think maybe there's a lot of people who left those jobs and found that, well, I can make the same amount of money or maybe a little bit more and, and I do not have to work, you know, evenings. I don't have to work weekends by working at, at other sorts of places. I mean, that's always been the challenge of the hospitality industry. And I think, you know, people who know my wife know she spent her entire career in the hospitality industry. And that's always the thing that, that you don't appreciate if you don't work in the restaurants or bars or things like that. And that is that, you know, if, if that's the industry that you've chosen, you are working when everybody else is relaxing. I mean, you're you're working Friday nights, you're working Saturday nights, you're working Mother's Day, you're working Father's Day. You know, you're you're working when when everybody else you say, "Hey, you know, it's it's Friday night, let's go out and have a fish fry." No, I can't. I've got to go work. Um it's Saturday night, let's go see a movie or let's go to a ball game or whatever. Now, you know, you you get other days off, but it's it's always sort of a different schedule. So I I think that there's a lot of people who maybe have worked in that industry who are saying, "You know what? I I want 
I want to have a normal life. You know, I, I, I don't want to have my day off be, you know, be Monday night. I want to be able to go out on Friday without having to take time off. I, I think this is going to, again, be something that's going to be worth looking at over the course of the next several years to see how this works out. Okay. I'm about ready to, what was it the lady said at the beginning of the show? Rant. You were ranting about this. Ah, I don't think that was a rant, but this is going to be a rant. And it is a bipartisan rant because we are getting ready to start an, another election season. And this is going to be, I'm telling you, it's going to be a Katie bars the, bar the doors, you know, no holds barred type of election season in Wisconsin. You've got the, the governor who's going to be up for re-election. It's going to be a close hard-fought race. You have Ron Johnson's U.S. Senate seat that's going to be up. We still don't know whether Senator Johnson is going to run again. You have, what, 12 or 13 Democrats who've already announced for that. So you're going to have that. Um, and this is because it, it has the potential to decide whether or not the Republicans and the Democrats control the U.S. Senate. There is just going to be a ton of money that is poured into this. You're going to have, uh, again, all the congressional seats that are up. And Ron Kind, um, who is the congressman from the cross area, he's, he's stepping down. So this is, that's going to be an open seat. So, you know, that's going to be a free for all. You've got the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, um, Tom Barrett will be confirmed to be the ambassador to Luxembourg at some point in time, and then you're going to have a special election. And, and my guess is you're going to have at least 15 people that, that run for that. I'm serious. I think that's going to be it. And in order to fund all these different campaigns, one of the things that you need, and some people are independently wealthy, but most people need to, to they need campaign donations. So you can imagine, especially if you've given money before, you can only imagine the type of solicitations that you are going to get. If you're on a list somewhere, I mean, just just get ready. And this is Republicans, this is Democrats, but you're going to be besieged by requests asking you to give money for this candidate or that candidate or whatever. I always think that that's a great thing. If you choose to give money to a candidate that you support, I, I think that's a great way that, that people can participate in in the process. So, I mean, I'm not against donating to candidates, and candidates need it. What I am against, though, is some of the deceptive practices that are used to try to encourage people to donate, particularly that are directed to older Americans. Now, if you look at the numbers, what you see is a a large percentage of, of campaign donations come from from older Americans not necessarily the biggest donations but you know um, regular donations if you decide again you get a solicitation from candidate X and, and you want to send candidate X a check for a hundred bucks go with God I, I think that's great my problem though is candidate X and candidate Y and candidate Z what they also what they often will do is come up with schemes and i use the word schemes that are at this point in time unfortunately still legal but will deceive people particularly people who are less sophisticated for example in in the ways of campaign operations or the internet will deceive them into giving money that they did not intend to give let me give you the the in my opinion the worst example of this. You get a solicitation, and the the Trump campaign got burned for doing this. They weren't the only ones that did it, but they they did it. 
you get a solicitation saying, hey, help me out. I'm running for office. I, I need the money to fight this back and stuff. Send me $100. Okay, or, or whatever the dollar amount was. In the small print on the form that you fill out, let's say you're going to pay with a credit card. All right, so you're not going to send in a check. You're going to send. You're going to pay with a credit card because it's easier to do it or whatever. So in the small print on on the form that you hit, where you hit the box that like says you're authorized to, you know, the the credit card charge is authorized. The small print on the form says every month for the ne- you know once a month for the next you know x amount of time. I also authorize a similar donation deduction to come out of my account. So you think you're given $100, and next thing you know, there's another $100 that comes out of your account the next month. There's another $100 that comes out the month after that. And unless you're watching your credit card bills, or if you have, for example, you know, uh, an older relative, unless somebody's watching that and say, hey, what are these repeated donations to what, whatever, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, you know, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, whatever, you know, what what's going on here? But there, there are these regular donations that people don't intend to make because you don't have to opt in. You don't have to affirmatively, like, check a box saying, I authorize my account to be, you know, deducted, you know, every every month. All you have to do is simply authorize that first deduction, and then unless you read the small print, you don't realize that unless you opt out of that, you're going to get hit by like a hundred dollar in my example deduction every month. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This stuff is all legal right now. I don't think it should be. And I think and I'm I'm not one of these guys that believes in over government regulation, but I think these tactics I think are designed to deceive people. They are designed to take advantage of some of our most vulnerable people who think again, hey, I, I think I'm donating fifty bucks to the Wagner campaign. I wanted to donate the fifty bucks to the Wagner campaign. Seems like a great guy. But they didn't realize that because they didn't read the small print, they're actually going to be donating fifty bucks to the Wagner campaign for the next eight or nine months. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if you have run across this, but it's out there. It has, in fact, been going on, and this is an example where I think the government needs to step in, and this is one where I'd say there ought to be a law. I I think these are the types of things, like these recurring donations, that you you, you really, if you want to opt in, it's got to be really clear in big, bold letters, and you have to check the box, and you have to say, I am authorizing you know, you to deduct 100 bucks out of my account every month, or, or whatever. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But the fact that they do it without giving really clear express notice and getting an affirmative commitment from somebody that they want, that's what they want to do, I think is just wrong. I think it borders on fraud, and even though I don't believe it is illegal, it should be eight five five six one six one six twenty, and I bring this up because I just think, I just think moving into this next election cycle, it's not Republican Democrat. I think you're going to see this on. I think you're going to see all these different abuses, and I think you're going to see people, particularly most vulnerable people, that end up getting taken advantage of, and we need to try to stop it before it happens. Eight five five six one six one six twenty.
we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I just, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, as we move into this next election cycle, I, I think there's going to be a lot of what I'm describing as these deceptive efforts to try to get people to make political donations. And number one, people need to be aware of it. But number two, I, I think this is an example of where, I don't know, Congress needs to get involved and whether it's maybe the Federal Trade Commission that regulates this stuff. Some of these practices need to be identified as what they are and, and, and they need to be shut down so we don't take advantage of people. Look, if you want to give $100 a month to the Wagner campaign, that that's great. But if it's going to be a recurring donation, you have to tell people, I think, expressly that you, they, they got to check that box and know what they are doing, don't they? Let's talk to uh, Chris on the west side. Hi, Chris. Good afternoon. Hi, Chris. Um, I was saying that um, I, I agree it's a very sleazy practice, and it makes me want to go out and snarkily find a whole bunch of them and put in a uh, donation for five cents and let them. Right, right. And trying to get. Yeah, and let them try to process that. It's just. Uh, thanks for call, Chris. I'm sorry your cell phone's breaking up a little bit. It, it is. It's just. It's flat out sleazy. And and what happens is, for example, the, the Trump, and I'm trying not to make this political because both sides do it, but this was a tactic that the Trump campaign used extensively. And ultimately what happened is they ended up having to refund a, a lot of money to donors when you know who, who discovered that hey I intended to give 50 bucks I didn't intend to give you know 500 over 10 months and what happened a lot of times is this was it was a tactic that was specifically used toward towards seniors who were more likely to be deceived don't get me wrong I'm not suggesting this because you're a senior citizen that you're automatically you know not going to understand what's going on but this was a tactic and there's a story in the New York Times matter of fact one of our texters are making you know reference to this that talked about how, I mean, it was particularly targeted at people who might not be as internet savvy and things like that. And it was their kids that found out, you know, you know, gee, dad, you don't have a lot of money to begin with. Why are there these recurring deductions? And then you go back and it turns out that that's not what the intent was, but it it kind of gets lost because there's a lot of people, let's face it, who don't go through their credit card bills with a fine tooth tooth comb. Now, you should. Not 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 saying you shouldn't, but but that's just what the reality is. Jeff, I have experienced this tactic related to my mother. We told the national political party who was behind it to stop, and they never did. We eventually had to get her a new credit card and request from her credit card company refunds for the unauthorized transactions after our notification date. I eventually filed a complaint with the FEC, that's the Federal Elections Commission, against the national political party um yeah that's that's it jeff the new york times had a good article about this problem it did people thought they were making a one-time donation didn't realize that they were authorizing periodic automatic payments some people were bilked out of thousands of dollars i know that sounds you know difficult to believe oh you know that people you know people have to read the fine print and and yeah and i i get it look this is a recovering lawyer talking to you I, i understand that people need to read the fine print but at the same time, 
you know, all right, this thing comes out. You think you're doing the right thing. You, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, this is a great thing. I want to give $100 to my political candidate of choice. I think it's a great thing. You don't necessarily think that they're your candidate or the people raising funds for him or her are going to be developing this kind of sleazy backdoor way to scam you, and yes, I use that word advisedly, scam you out of more than that $100 than you choose to give. So this is... This is one where I think you have political parties, Republicans and Democrats, everybody should be be able to get behind some really pro-consumer legislation to stop people from being taken advantage of. The other point and the other cautionary tale that comes from this conversation is when you get these solicitations, particularly these solicitations that come over the Internet, be careful. Not saying don't give money if you want to give money. Not saying don't provide your credit card information and allow there to be a draw against it, but make sure you read what you are doing and make sure you understand that, okay, maybe, maybe I gotta read the small print to make sure that this hundred dollar donation doesn't turn into a hundred dollar donation that's gonna come out of the, of my account on the 15th of every month. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Miller Mobility. Miller Mobility is your go-to for the best in stair lifts, scooters, ramps, lift chairs, and power recliners. Give them a call at 262-549-4900. And don't forget to check out their new showroom at 36336 North Summit Village Way in Oconomowoc. Miller Mobility, now you can. Great people, absolutely great people. All right, we learned this the hard way in Milwaukee. Remember when they were talking about the the streetcar, Tom's Trolley Folly, which my guess is once Tom Barrett leaves town, my guess is a lot of the input for expanding this is going to kind of disappear. But remember, we we had these streetcar numbers that claimed all there was going to be all this ridership. And it was based on the fact that people were going to pay $1 to ride. Well, we, we've never charged anything to ride. In the first couple months, when it was free, the ridership exceeded what was projected. But, of course, that was because it was free. And I think everybody acknowledges that these ridership numbers for Tom's Trolley Folly were, were never realistic. It was never anything that was going to – we were never going to meet those numbers if we did what we were supposed to do, which is to charge. Yeah, yes, you, you did have months where it was free and it was a novelty and you had people, hey, let's just ride this for fun and we'll hop on it. But that's not where the projections came from. They were based on people paying. If people, you know, if if the numbers were, um, if it had been presented that, okay, this is how many people are going to ride for free, it would be one thing. So the, the estimates were completely bogus. Again, completely and totally bogus because, again, they were based on people charging, and if they charged, we wouldn't get anywhere those, near those numbers. Well, as part of this new infrastructure package that's trying to get ramped, that some people are trying to ram through Congress, there's all these, these mass transit construction projects that are out there, and there's all these ridership numbers that are being thrown around. Story in the Wall Street Journal today. Well, the headline is, 
Transportation projects often rely on optimistic forecasts. Ridership projections can be used to justify spending millions of dollars of infrastructure, but then it goes on to say how these ridership projections almost never pan out. A Federal Transit Administration survey of 27 recent public transit projects that opened between 2007 and 2015 found that the average one, overstated ridership by about 21% um, within two years after opening. Um, that was an improvement over previous years. Projects that opened between 1990 and 2002 overestimated ridership by an average of 77%. The bottom line of this story is when you see these numbers that are thrown around about, hey, if we spend all this money, these are going to be the ridership things. Historically, statistically, those numbers are almost always bogus. The latest example of that is this bus rapid transit line that they're talking about, spending all this money to save seven or eight minutes on a bus line that's going to run from the lakefront out to Fredert. And you hear these huge projections. Well, if we do this, this is going to increase the numbers. Just like the numbers for Tom's Trolley Folly were bogus, just like the majority of these other ridership number figures are bogus, that's another one that's going to be bogus. But we don't learn from this. Maybe at some point in time we can wake up. Okay, when we come back, let's find out what Eric and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.